I'm turning to 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. Sorry, I opened to the wrong book. Just trying to figure out how's the summer going to work. First John chapter one, starting verse eighteen. This is the word of our Lord. Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have written, I have not written to you because you do not know the church, the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that He has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that in the frailty of preaching, you would be present with your church. Bless us. Bless your people. As we consider your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you read the letter, to this point, John had only implied that there were false teachers at the church that he's writing to. He hasn't come out yet all the way through verse 18, saying that there's any, that naming them by name. He's just implying there are false things being taught, be aware of it. But now the, the, the gloves come off and John names them for what they are. He calls these false teachers antichrists. They're against Christ. That's what the, the word anti there means. And there are three things that we see in this passage that I want us to eventually see uh, if we put together today's sermon and Lord willing next week's sermon. And the first thing I want us to see concerning these antichrists and what John is saying here is that um, we live in a time that is marked by deception. You see that in verses 18 through 19. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time today. That we live in a time that's marked by deception. That's the, the nature of the world that we live in. The second thing, and this is going to actually be next week, is this. The Christian does not have to be deceived by this age. See that in verses 20, 21, and then 24 to 27. 
Uh, we, we, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be deceived, thank you, by this age. To put it differently, um, only those who have not been born again by the Holy Spirit of God are deceived. So a true believer would never be deceived concerning Christ. And that's what we're going to try to see at next week. And then hopefully today we'll also see that the deception of this age has always to do with Christ and His Word. That's at the core of what, what the world wants to deceive us from. That uh, the Christ and His Word. You see that in verses 22 through 23. So let's start by taking a look at this. We live in a time marked by deception. John calls this age that we live in as the last hour. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. Uh, if you read the New Testament, you notice that the biblical writers, and, and the Old Testament as well, we're going to see that this afternoon, Lord willing, uh, biblical writers were not very precise with their eschatological language. That is, they were not very precise when they talk about things regarding the age we live in or the age to come. They weren't trying to, they, they were not Westerners. They were not super worried about chronology. They were not super worried about the, the language fit exactly into a calendar. Uh, and we see that in the labels that they use for this age and the age to come, this time and the time of the return of Christ. Let me give you a few examples how it can be confusing how they use this language of last times or last days or last hours. For example, several passages talk about now being the last time or now being the last day. In Joel 2.28, Joel says there are certain things that are going to happen in the last day. And then Peter, in Acts chapter 2, quotes Joel 2.28 and says, What you're seeing here today is a fulfillment of Joel 2.28. And then he goes on in quotes and said, This is the last times. So Peter says, We are in the last times. And he counts that from the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, there the Holy Spirit through the human author says that in the past, God spoke to the church in several ways, dreams and visions, but in these last times, He has spoken through Jesus Christ. So again, these last times being the time that we live in. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So uh, Peter again says we are in the last times. Uh, Paul agrees with that in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, where he says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul says we are living now. All these things that happened before in the Old Testament was recorded for our good, and we are the ones that live at the end of the ages. So this, the, this is where we, we live, at the end of the ages. But then they turn around and use the same language to talk about the time around the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is notorious for that. He used the last times, the last days, or the last ages to talk about now and to talk about the future. So we saw the first Peter 1, he talks about the last times being now. And then we go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and he says this, Knowing this, first, that scoffers will come in the last days. So he puts some future time called the last days, even though he also calls now the last times. Jude does the same thing in verse 18 where he says, 
how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. So again, some future time. And even the last times have last times in the way that the New Testament speaks. Again, Peter it says in 1 Peter 1, 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, uh, John, oh, not John, James says that uh, now in this last time, in chapter 5, we are storing jewels for the last time. If you want to add complexion there to the thing. And Jesus himself says that the word that I have spoken will judge them in the last time. So we have this confusion, holy confusion, so it's not bad confusion, about this, this, this idea of last times. The, the New Testament talks about last times, last days being now, and also being some time in the future. John may mean by last hour that we're living at the end of God's plan of redemption. God already created. God already separated people to himself. God provided a Messiah. The Messiah already lived, died, rose from the dead. Redemption has been accomplished. And now the only thing missing is the collection of the elect, the application of that redemption, which means that's just the end of God's plan. So is equivalent as to the last hour of the entire plan of God's uh, salvation. Despite the biblical writer's lack of precision, right? They use this term very loosely. They all agree in using these terms that we are to live now in light of the consummation of all things. That's the point of saying that we're in the last times. Not to tell us precisely in the calendar when Christ is coming back or how soon he will. But we live in light of that return. We live in light of the last times, whether he returns tomorrow or 10,000 years in the future. We live now according to the fact that we are close to the end, we're close to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully following what he has um, uh, told us. Uh, I've never seen it written, but I've heard it said enough, and if you heard it said enough, it becomes true. Uh, uh, It's... in my experience, has been attributed to the table talk, uh, so the student's collection of Luther's uh, talk around the pub table or his kitchen table, and then after a few beers, and uh, uh, it, it, it said that uh, Luther was asked, if Christ was coming tomorrow, what you do today? And uh, he says, I'll plant a tree. And you think, man, he's from the Pacific Northwest or something, but that's not what he meant. What he meant is that he was living today already for the glory of God, and the plan for today was to plant a tree. So he wouldn't change what he would do today if he knew for sure that Christ is coming tomorrow, because today is already governed by the idea that we are to live in light of the return of Jesus Christ. So if, Christ was, if you knew for sure that Christ was coming tomorrow and you had to change the way you live, it means that there's something wrong in the, with the way that you live right now, regardless of Christ coming tomorrow or not. And John says that this last hour is moving to a time when an Antichrist will come. Look again at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. 
Now, other antichrists have come and are even now present in the world, John says. And these antichrists are around now are the types of the one to come. He says there's one coming, and we have you see the other ones here, and the, the one coming is going to be of the same kind of these antichrists that are present now here. This capital A antichrist in our translation was future to John's time, and he was future to his original audience. He is coming. He's not here yet. He is coming, and he's as we see, we'll see in a moment. He's still future to us now as well. When teaching about the Antichrist, John is not introducing a new topic to his audience. Again, in verse 18, he says, as you have heard. So he's not all of a sudden saying something that they weren't aware of, they hadn't been taught before. Now, the title Antichrist is only used four times in the Bible, four or five times, all by John. Four of them in 1 John and one in 2 John chapter 7. And, but though the term Antichrist is not used anywhere else in the Bible outside of 1 John, and you'd think about how much that word is used in, in literature, you'd think that was all over the Bible, but it's not. It's only in these two little epistles and only five times total. Uh, but the term, though the term is not all over, the expectation that sometime in history, there's going to be a Christ-like figure that will deceive the world concerning Christ is part of the New Testament theology of the last things. It's part of New Testament eschatology. And this person, not merely a system, I used to think that this could be fulfilled by a system. I no longer think that. This, this person can be the head of a system, but it's this person who will lead astray even professing Christians. We see that, that is this expectation in verse 18, where John says, this Antichrist is coming. Now, if you look at uh, your, if you have a New King James in front of you, you're going to notice that there is a little footnote uh, next to the word the, before the Antichrist. And if you have a ESV, there's no the, it's just Antichrist there. Uh, the word the should not be there, but even though it shouldn't be there, it... Our translation, other translations and commentaries acknowledge the future coming of this unique person, even though it's not identified by an article. According to John, an evidence of the future coming of the Antichrist is the presence of Antichrist-like teachers. Now, it says in verse 18 that the, the one of the way we know that this Antichrist is coming is that there are those today that are fulfilling that role in the world and in the church. Now, the Bible uses other words to, replay, to, to, to refer to this Antichrist that John speaks in the beginning of verse 18. Uh, Jesus called them pseudo-Christs, false Christs. In Matthew 24, verses 23-25, Jesus says this. It says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive it, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So Jesus doesn't call them him Antichrist, but calls him a false Christ. And that there will be many of those false Christs coming along. John, uh, not John, but Paul refers to him as the man of lawlessness. Uh, would you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? It's a longer passage, so it would be good if you have it in front of you. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting verse 3. We're going to read verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to drop down to verses 8 through 
10. So Paul says there in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse uh, 2, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then... That now dropping, dropping down to verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So you see Christ calling this antichrist false Christ. You see uh, uh, Paul calling it the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition. And then uh, the Apostle John again in Revelation uh, calls the same individual as the beast, uh, especially in Revelation chapter 13 in verses 5 through 8, where John says, He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And notice that in these passages, though the Antichrist will wield geopolitical power, they'll have political power in the world, he will primarily be a religious figure intent on deceiving people away from Christ. That's the nature of the Antichrist, especially from 1 John chapter 2. According to John, the Antichrist is a religious figure who claims to be a Christian, but proclaims a Christ who is not the Christ of the Bible. Look back at verse uh, chapter First John chapter two. There, John teaches that the that the current antichrists went out from the church. Look at verse nineteen. It says they went out from us, but they were not of us. So will the final antichrist. He'll come out out of the church. The they denied the antichrists that were around the time of John and around our time, they denied that Jesus was the Christ while claiming to be Christian teachers. Look at verses 22 and 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So they denied, they were Christian teachers denied Christ, and so will the final Antichrist be. Notice that Denial of the Son as the God-man is the denial of the Father. We either believe the triune God of the Bible or we believe in a false God. Those are the only two choices. There's nothing in between. Either it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is revealed in the Scriptures or we are worshiping a false God. So putting all this together, we see that the Antichrist is a non-Trinitarian 
Christian leader with worldwide influence who deceived the masses, including professing Christians. This is what this Antichrist is. And Jesus says, as we read in Matthew 24, that this deception is so powerful that it would even deceive the elect if it were possible. Jesus says, not possible, but just for you to have an idea of how charismatic, how attractive, how deceitful this person is, it, it is so strong that it would even deceive the elect if I allowed that to happen. Well, there's never been such a person in history. No matter how you stretch it, it'd be, it just, there's no, no historical evidence that this person ever existed. Therefore, it's, it must still be future to us, since the Word of God is always true. Now, one last important thing to notice about the Antichrist, and this is something that we have to keep in mind, that, this, that the Antichrist is a Christian figure. He finds his origin in the Christian church. So the biggest threat to us is not Islam. The biggest threat to us is not the secular world. The biggest threat to us is a bad theology of Christ. Because that is the characteristic, the main characteristic of the, anti, the Antichrist. The biggest deception of this time is a moving away from the Christ of the Bible. That's the greatest damage that can be done to the church of Jesus Christ. And this can happen blatantly by denying what is theologically true about Christ. So Unitarians, for example, uh, and you think, oh, that will never happen to us. You go to New England, and the, 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 the What's the word I'm looking for? The seedbed, the bed, the bedrock, yes. Thank you, whoever you were. The bedrock of American Puritanism succumbed to Unitarianism as the years went on. It could be blatantly like in in the cult, like the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Remnant Fellowship. But this also can happen subtly in our lives, as we divorce what we say we believe concerning Christ from real life. Now though, and this is from next week, though the believer will not turn away from Christ, the true believer will never turn away from Christ, he or she may have anti-Christ-like attitudes in his or her heart. And I came up with, uh, from the scriptures with three attitudes that we may have in our hearts as believers that are anti-Christ-like and that we need to uh, divest ourselves from them. The first one is beliefs, thoughts, actions that deny that Jesus is Lord. That is an antichrist attitude. Now, take a second now and think of it. What are some ways that this may be true of us? Beliefs, beliefs, thoughts, and actions that deny that Jesus is Lord. I was thinking of four. Just lack of obedience in general. That we hear the word of God and then we just let it fall by the wayside and we not obey it. Prevailing sin in our lives, you know, which deny the sufficiency of the atonement when we persist in, in sin. Despair. Despair is another uh, part of real life that shows that we don't really believe that Jesus Christ is whom he says he is. And then anxiety. Because anxiety inherently has two components to it. A desire to control the future 
and a desire to know everything that's going to happen. The point is that only there's only one person that can do that, and that's God, the triune God of the Bible. And when we are anxious, when we are in despair, we are denying in real life what we say we believe concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first one. First way that we as believers, true believers, can have an anti-Christ attitude in our heart. The second one is this. Any attempt to justify ourselves before God apart from Christ. Even as believers, we fall into that pit where we somehow come before God thinking that He should receive us for the good that we did. Or, you know, how good little boys and girls we've been. And that's how we're going to... Or, where we stay away from God because we've sinned grievously and we think that now He's not going to receive us anymore. As if He had initially received us because of our own doing. That's an antichrist-like attitude. And thirdly, self-reliance in any area of life is an antichrist-like attitude. The, the living in everyday life as if we didn't need Christ. You know, we, 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 we like Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But as believers, we often stop short. We say we can do all things and stop there. And that's not what God designed us to be. So even as believers, we can, uh, ex- we can exhibit anti-Christ-like attitudes in our hearts, and we have to turn away from them and repent of them and turn to the Christ of the Bible. The deception of this age has always to do with Christ and His Word. Look at verses 22 and 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The devil would be very content if we as Christians were super involved in social justice issues while neglecting the battle for Christ and His Word in the church in our hearts. The devil would be content if we are all about feeding the poor. The devil will be content if we're all about righting all the inequalities in society. Uh, the, the devil will be amazingly content if we were all about stop, stopping sex trafficking. Those things, if that's what we are all about, the devil, hey, go for it. That's great. Just put your heart and soul into that. Focus only on that as a church of Jesus Christ because that means that you're not doing what God calls you to do which is to be Christ on this earth through the proclamation of His Word. I think our book study will help us here and see that, what the mission that God has given us is as we work through that book. The devil would be very content if we as Christians were super engaged in fighting for or against masks while neglecting the battle for Christ and His Word in the church and in our hearts. Whatever it is that we want to focus on, if it's not in Christ, if it's not Christ, the devil say, hey, go for it, man. Because that distracts you from what you're really supposed to be doing, that is seeing Christ and proclaiming Christ to every creature that you come across. So, who is the Christ who is the core of biblical Christianity? Who is the Christ that the Antichrist opposes? First, he's God. God the Son, nothing less than that. Everything that's true of God is true of Jesus. 
There is no essential difference between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit says in Hebrews chapter 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory, the express image of His person. That's Jesus Christ. When it says express image, it doesn't mean a copy, but it means exactly like He is. There's no difference in essence between the Father and the Son. But He's also man, the second Adam. Paul says in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as through one man of man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. He is not only God, but it's man. And because he's man, he's the perfect Savior for you. He's also the anointed one. He's the Christ, anointed one of God, who fulfills all God's promises. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, that all the promises of God are what? In Jesus Christ. They are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He's also the sufficient Savior. That's the Christ that the Antichrist wants to deny, the sufficient Savior. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. John says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. He's a sufficient Savior for the salvation of the world. If anyone in the world is ever going to be saved, it's going to be through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No matter what color you are, no matter what shape of eye you have, no matter what ethnicity you're from, no matter where you're born, no matter what social class you are, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That's it. There's no other way. He is the sufficient Savior. And He is the Lord. Paul says in Philippians 2, 9-11, God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the Christ of biblical Christianity. He's at the core of our belief. That's the Christ that the Antichrist wants to deny. We are easily deceived. We are easily pulled away from the glories of Christ. But God is merciful. God is merciful to us and reminds us of the glorious Christ who has saved us. Brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Christ is all that the Bible says He is. He's worth living for. And He's worth dying for. Because for us, to live is Christ. And to die, well, to die is gain. Because dying is being with Him. The worst thing somebody can do to you is send you to see Jesus. And that's gain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And we pray that you would bless the preaching with your spirit as it, he works in all of our hearts to love Christ, the Christ of the Bible, the one who saved us. Father, we pray that we be faithful to him as you're faithful to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.